Hi, welcome to Here to Then, hosted by Carolyn Takeda, former attorney, current small groups pastor, and life coach. Through monthly conversations with pastors, authors, and guests, we hope to stir your thoughts and encourage you to move from where you are to where you want to be, in your personal life, in your leadership, or in your ministry. Welcome back to Group Talk. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Carolyn Takeda. I'm your host and the Executive Director of Small Groups at Calvary Community Church in Westlake Village, California. Well, today I'm excited to continue our conversation with John Noto about the differences and the strengths and weaknesses between support groups and regular small groups. I know some of us um, oversee both like John does and others, though, we may have our feet just in the small group world, but we've had to deal with um, people in high need and crisis and emotional distress in our small groups. And we've had to um, counsel them and train our leaders to identify the triggers. How do they know what part they should handle? At what point do you hand that off to someone with um, professional expertise? I mean, there's so many questions around this and it wasn't enough for one conversation. So we're doing part two. So you get a bonus this month um, and we're going to talk with John further. So let me give you a little um, bio for John. He is the pastor turned therapist. Um, at, who serves as a community life pastor at one of Willow Creek Community Church's regional campuses in the Chicagoland area. And he's been doing that for six years, coordinating discipleship and pastoral care. So he's bringing his insights as a therapist to both ministries. And he's kind of unique in that role, which is so great to have him on this um, topic. Prior to serving at Willow, John was a clinical therapist in a variety of settings, including uh, Christian private practice and community mental health. He also enjoys writing, so he writes for online publications for the Small Group Network, smallgroups.com, and careleader.org, along with his own website, the unwavering.com. So, John, thanks so much for extending your time with us and continuing our conversation. Absolutely. Glad to be here. So for those of you who might have missed the first one, I encourage you to go back and perhaps you want to listen to that first. We talked a lot about the differences between support groups and regular bread and butter um, small groups and the strengths of each of those. And we talked about the goals, the purpose for the different groups um, and how, I don't know, how did you put it, John, how the the content may be different, but the actual um Method yeah. by which you move people along is the same. You said it so much more elegantly. What did you say? <laughs> I said you can look at content or process. The content, of course, is going to be different. Now, the process by which we grow, uh, you know, should be the same. That's that's our our Christian belief. Right. And then you also noted that both whether it's in care ministries or support groups, recovery groups, uh, whatnot, as well as our regular um, discipleship type groups, that basically growth is growth and they're both moving hopefully towards health, um, emotional, spiritual, and holistic and movement towards Jesus and being more like him. So in the big picture, they're aiming towards the same thing, but it looks really different. So today, Mm -hmm. let's turn our attention to this thorny issue we have um, because people are broken and hurt people hurt people and hurt people mm-hmm. are sitting in our small groups. Uh, we're going to have people in our groups that are going to go through crisis, whether it's divorce, it's a, a child issue with a child, um, whether it's grief, a cancer. I mean, there's just, there's so many heartaches in the world. And so sometimes that can absorb a lot of a group's time and energy. Um, and it might even start feeling like a support group for the person or just, it just gets really messy. So how do you um, counsel your leaders to handle those situations? Yeah, I, I think this is a, 
the topic that's easy to talk about because it's something we all feel. It's a felt <laughs> need. Any small group point person, myself included, yes. um, um, feels this. And most small group leaders feel this. And, and if you're a small group leader for any period of time, you're going to experience this. So it's important to talk about. Um, I think first we need to just take a half step back and, and kind of parse out because there's, there's two ways to approach this. Um, one is um, when and how should small groups give genuine support? That means when should a small group leader step in in a support role? When should the small group act as the support for the individual? And how should they do that when, when motivations are healthy um, and when, when there's opportunity for growth there? I think the flip side, how I've heard this question asked, is how, do, how should small group leaders – uh, handle needy people, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow that that just seems we're all needy. So it's kind of like the old adage we used to use in small group world: um, the EGRs and the ECRs, uh, the extra grace yeah. required, extra care required. I've always kind of bristled at that because I'm like, we all need extra care, we all need extra grace. Yeah. But I do understand there are some people yes. whose baseline may require kind of uh-huh. just more need. Yeah, I <laughs> um, we use the EGR concept too, and I always cringe at it as well. But you know, it reminds me of I think it's Joseph Grenny who uses the language that we all need to be better at having um, important conversations with difficult people mm-hmm. and having difficult conversations with important people. Well, you know, usually our small group leaders we're talking about having difficult conversations with important people. They're people they're comfortable with, and we're asking them to have vulnerable conversations. But there's this flip side where um, how do we have important conversations with, with people that are causing difficulties is maybe a better way of putting it within our ministry context. So um, so if it's all right with you, I'd like to start with kind of the, the first part, sure. the genuine support. Um, and, and I think this is where I alluded to last time we spoke um, I think there's a great opportunity in group life ministries uh, for care to happen um, in appropriate and healthy ways. When I was in a small group way back when, probably one of the most influential times I had in a small group was when um, our small group leader, I was just a member at the time, this was early in my faith, um, kind of brought to the attention of the group that somebody in the group anonymously was on hard financial times and uh, was in need, was going to the food pantry and, and it asked if there was a way that we could support um, that person. Um, and for me, that was shocking. That was, you know, you, you know, theoretically that people in need are all around us, but to know that like in my small group of like 10 or 12 people, somebody is in that level of need. Um, and later the person was so overwhelmed by, we kind of anonymously took money, you know, you pass the hat and do it anonymously. Um, they were so moved and, and felt prompted that they wanted to let the group know that it was them. I just remember that was, mm-hmm. that was like a turning point for that small group. Um, there were no weird motivations involved. There was no kind of um, boundary issues that were happening there. What's an example, it, John, of a, let me interrupt you, sorry. Uh, yeah. What's an ex- example of a weird motivation? What's like, in, yeah, like a motivation that would cause you to, um, to be concerned? Yeah, this is this is another fun one because it's all gray area, right? <laughs> <laughs> the the way I coach people, either you know our coaches or um, somebody else dealing with this, is generally group life point people, uh, pastoral care directors are pretty emotionally intelligent people. So I say, uh, if somebody's being cared for in the group, I just ask the leader to 
tell me about how the group's caring for that person. And I feel like invariably inside of 10 minutes, you're going to have a knot in your stomach <laughs> or, or you're going to feel so really scientific about it. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. There's a questionnaire you can fill out. No, no, we don't go that way. <laughs> um, but, but generally it's, um, you know, the word should mm-hmm. is, is, is around there somewhere when things aren't good. I should help this person or the group should feel bad for this person, or they might not voice it that way. Um, but this is where we get kind of caught up in some of these mistaken beliefs. And if we're not doing it for the right reasons and the right reasons would be out of servanthood, you know, um, in, in Mark 10, it says, uh, even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. Um, you know, we see Jesus washing the apostles feet. If somebody is coming from that place we're we're out of, uh, you know, an overwhelming sense of humility, they just desire to help another person, um, in the way that they can. Uh, that feels when you're in a conversation with somebody right. so different than I want to fix this person. You know, they, you get a sense that they're going to be a project. <laughs> right, right. Or you it's going to so. make the group feel good about themselves to have Absolutely. done this in kind of a self-righteous sort of way. But as you said, a lot of times it's a mixed motive, right? Mm-hmm. So it's hard to see beneath the, the surface. Only God will really know the hard part. But that's, sure. that I like that handle on, on asking, you know, is it a should? The other thing I've run across is where maybe a few people in the group want to help and other people are uncomfortable with it. And then they just kind of want to force the group to do it all together. And I usually say, you know what, just those of you who feel led, do so. But um, you don't all have to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, you know, and maybe it's a positive thing they they, um, they need to move towards Mm -hmm. caring in a more sacrificial way. But you lead by example rather than say, okay, now everybody sign up and watch, you know, this person in the hospital, their kids for for each day. And some people are like, "Uh, no, I don't want to do that. Um, yeah. And so, like, yeah. freedom from guilt, I guess, too, that's kind of the shoulds. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, too, um, another barometer to kind of check in with is uh, mutuality. And this would be different with, like, a hospital visitation thing. But say there's a couple in your, your and a couple's small group, one of the couples is having a lot of problems, um, and everybody knows about it. Uh, okay, so um, are we lending that? couple extra support knowing that in any season any of us will need extra support sure sure or are they becoming the project is is this group no longer about all of us growing or and this group is now about fixing this couple and how long do you go there though like okay say a group and this has happened so often say a group is going through marital issues and they're divorced getting divorced or separated or somewhere kind of in that journey Mm -hmm. um so it's going to absorb a lot of the group's time and prayer and support for a period yeah. of time. What's an appropriate period of time for a crisis? Yeah, so this is... I, I just that. put you in yet another box. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's great. It's actually a perfect segue to kind of the, the other angle from the question you had asked, and which it boils down to. What kind of what do you do with needy people? Right. Or what are, you know, the language I like to use is what are our thresholds of... of Every ministry has thresholds, whether they're defined or not, of, of how often somebody can take up space, take a conversation, sure. uh, take up energy of your leaders before the next level of interaction is going to happen. Um, and so just some kind of benchmarks that, that we use is I have my three categories of needy people. <laughs> the first one uh, is when somebody is benign but frustrating. 
That's you know, and me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you don't know who that is in your group, yeah. it's you. <laughs> yes, I, we have heard that. All right, so describe yeah. the benign but frustrating. Yeah, this is anybody who's been around any church long enough knows a handful of these people. You know, these are, you know, and this is where that term EGR, extra grace required, pops in. It's somebody where there's a dynamic, they take up too much space in the conversation. You know, they might ask inappropriate questions. They might, they're doing something that um, disrupts the balance and the flow of how things normally go, the status quo. Um, and, and this is a real easy one for me on, on coaching leaders because, um, you know, I forget who it is, so I'm going to misattribute a quote here. Uh, somebody said, I think it was Henry Cloud, that, you know, growth will always be awkward. <laughs> Whenever we are growing, it's uncomfortable. Right? We're doing something right. that's, we're going, you know, it's uncharted territory. So we don't yet have the stabilizing muscles to, to kind of look comfortable in that. Um, I bring that concept in because um, when I hear a small group leader tell me they have an awkward or an uncomfortable person in their group, part of me is happy to hear that. (laughs) I'd love for the balance to get thrown off because by and large, these people, if they're not disrupting the group, if they're just a little frustrating, um, then it's an opportunity for all of us to kind of like look inward and self-examine. Um, and an opportunity to serve and to you know grow in humility and all of these things that none of us likes doing. So there's that's category number one. Somebody's benign, but they're frustrating. Okay, so so when you know these behaviors or dynamics, whatever you want to say, increase, then you have somebody who's difficult and distracting. Okay, they're not just kind of off. They are distracting the leadership, the vision, the mission of whatever ministry they're in, whether it's a small group or a, a kind of a care setting. Um, they tend to have their own agenda, I think. That yes. kind of characterizes that cluster of people. Yeah, and whether they have that agenda overtly, yes. purposefully, or whether it's just kind of how they are mm-hmm. and it's a personality kind sure, of challenge. Sure. And each of those has its own different challenges. <laughs> but again, this is the hardest uh, segment of people to coach your leaders with because, I mean, what I've found in my ministry settings is that when there's a breakthrough with somebody who's difficult and distracting, uh, it's, a, it's a great breakthrough. Like, people grow from that. Right. Um, we had somebody who was in... Um, kind of one of our entry-level discipleship classes that we have on Sunday mornings. It's for people who are new to the church. And it was one of these guys who um, his knowledge of the Bible was 10x what his <laughs> social tact was, right? <laughs> it's a dangerous combination. Yes, it always And we all know these people. And so he was incredibly knowledgeable, um, you know, could quote up and down. And he um, just didn't have a lot of tact around that. And after week one, we got multiple phone calls from other people in the group that he was condescending or, you know, arrogant and kind of pushy with some things. And so, you know, the situation, I had a conversation with him and it was actually, um, it was a fantastic conversation. He was one of these people with just low personal awareness. Yes. <laughs> and, <laughs> and when I was very direct with him, because I was very direct with him, because it was kind of a threat to the group, um, he appreciated it. He changed behaviors. Yeah, and, and, and not everything, right? Because there's more to the story. There's always more to the sure, story. But sure. it's one of those where then, okay, I've invited him into 
a coaching relationship and he was open to it. That's that magic combo. Wow. <laughs> um, and things changed and he grew spiritually. The group, you know, the group leader was able to be part of that conversation. So like everybody wins, but for every one of those stories, <laughs> I probably have four or five stories where, um, you know, it, it became distracting enough or difficult enough. And we had that conversation um, and uh, it was not all tied up with a bow. <laughs> yes. And so when you've had, um, well, anything we would agree that you, you have to have these one-on-one conversations um, with these people and we encourage our leaders to do the same. And when it does not go well, there's just probably been a handful of times where I've actually asked the, um, the member to leave the group because they were at a level which maybe this is your third category where they're just, their actions were so divisive and they just were not in an emotionally healthy enough place to, to be part of the community. Yeah, that, well, you're absolutely right. So that's category number three. It's somebody who's dangerous or divisive. Um, and this is less of a gray area. I think we all know, depending how your church would handle this specific situation, we all know what needs to be done. Is is that person needs to be uh, removed from the context they're in, obviously with grace and with coaching, with care, because ultimately we're doing it to um, to benefit them as well as the group. You know, right. um, we get somebody who's in a group who absolutely needs to be in a support group and they're just kind of a mess. Um, you know, having a biweekly, uh, Bible study, you know, on the acts of the apostles, like that's not a bad thing, <laughs> right? but it's not the thing that that person needs. And so that, you know, but, and then you get all the way up and to somebody who's, who's a danger to the ministry functioning or something like that. And it's kind of like, okay, that's pretty black and white. We know what to do um, in a situation like that. Right. What so about, kind of- yeah, what about um, people with mental illness? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, would, would you still use these three categories depending on their level yeah. of functionality? Um, or it, would you just kind of think, okay, if you have a diagnosable thing and you're off meds, we used to joke about this one group where every so often we'd have this issue come up because the per- one member was on enough meds. So when she was on meds, it was fine because she could function fairly well. And she was actually a lovely person, but there were seasons where she just would be off meds and then you, you would, the group would suffer as a result and it just kind of <laughs> hung in with her. But yeah. at some point I'm like, I, I don't know with mental illness where you would draw that line. Yeah. Yeah, the the beauty of these three categories is it is more a function of the outcome than the cause. And this is where it's a challenge to have a conversation with somebody um, because I can tell you you're being divisive and you can tell me that, oh, it's not my fault and this is why and this is why and this is why. That all might be true, but... But I need to be concerned about the flock, you know, the yes. overall flock. And if if there's a concern for the overall flock, like it doesn't matter why it is. Um, and that's why we just we need to heavily lean on grace um, and um, be flexible in these conversations because um, whether it's mental illness or a relational kind of situation or you know even you know, just a personality situation. If it's, if it's frustrating or it's distracting or it's divisive like that, it, those categories work for any reason why. It's just a matter of how we have the conversation. And that would be true, John, right? Even if it's uh, maybe a seasonal thing, like most people don't mm-hmm. stay mm-hmm. S- 
stuck necessarily if there's a crisis. The crisis happens, and then they're just in need for a, a period of time, and then they tend to go yeah. back to baseline at some point once the crisis has passed. So if, if groups kind of hang with them, it seems like mm-hmm. that does over time uh, lend itself. And so we, we've said, you know, when you're done processing this grief or process, whatever, we're here for you, yeah. um, and allow them to just leave the door wide open for them to come back. I think that's mm-hmm. helped them be, get the help they need and know that there's a community waiting for them and supporting them um, in the wings. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, a, a concept we talk a lot about with our leaders is is leaving the 99 to go after the one. Mm. And so if somebody, I'll often coach leaders, uh, not often, because thankfully we don't have to do this that often, when somebody needs to leave a group and maybe does not want to leave a group, um, I'll encourage the leader to stay in contact with that person. Right. Um, just because they're not in, you know, the the official small group (laughs) (laughs) does not mean we can't have a relationship does not mean we can't shepherd that person um it's just a matter of how it impacts the group as a whole so that can be helpful to kind of soften the blow and and keep the door open like you said to kind of play off your analogy so yeah so let's talk about small group leaders that really want to be therapists and just relish (laughs) that role (laughs) there there's there are some people that like kind of are attracted to that role maybe they're that's what they're doing in real life something Mm -hmm. in that counseling-ish sort of area or they just some people um are turned off by having a lot of needy people in their group and they feel one by that's what the story i shared um, last time but some people really like that and we've had to caution small group leaders to say you are not therapists this is you're not a professional this is not you know part of your job description as a small group leader so john how do you kind of help small group leaders know where their boundary is with that especially for those who actually have that empathetic compassionate um, pastoral-ish mm-hmm. shepherding side, like if that's yeah. one of their gifts, I think it's even harder for them to, to maintain a healthy boundary. Yeah, yeah. I, I think um, now in in our church, we have more of like a free market um, small group set up where we will lean more into leaders' strengths. So we have uh, small groups that are very focused on biblical study. You know, they're more of a Bible study group, a traditional Bible study group. We do have leaders who are uh, amazing shepherds and um, pastors in their own right. And so we we kind of allow for that because God wires us differently. And, you know, you walk into eight different small groups and you experience right. eight completely <laughs> different cultures. And so this is, this is why we put a lot of emphasis um, and try to coach leaders to use that small group covenant you know, or purpose statement or agreement, whatever language you want to put around it, use that not just as a sheet of paper that everybody signs that you can fall back on when, you know, Joe Schmo doesn't do what he should do, <laughs> uh, but to use it and to involve the whole group in it. Um, we have an exercise we have them go through where they identify what are the values that you want to be top priority. Every, every group, every ministry, we all know this. If everything's important, nothing's important. Sure. And so we encourage our readers, let's, let's identify, like, what, what are we doing well now, if, if it's a reboot, and what do we want to be doing well in? And so um, we encourage leaders to put on paper um, what it is they want to go after so that even if I'm wired up as a therapist and want to be doing therapy, um, that's probably not one of the identified values, not if you're in our small group ministry. And so if that's predominantly where we're talking and the space we're in, then it's time to reassess um, them. You know, 
likely I would tag them to be a leader in our care ministries. Sure, you know, sure. I, I think there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> sure. Um, but I think, uh, you know, this is, it's development for group leaders in general. We start with kind of a covenant conversation and I get to know people's history and, and what's drawing them to this. Um, and I'm not going to turn somebody away who's interested in doing it because they want to provide care or they're in the professional field or something like that. Right. It's just something you want to um, compare it to the standard we set in the beginning. Yeah, and I, I think setting those goals in place makes a lot of sense. I guess the situation that gets sticky is when um, the care needs to go on for a long time and only yes. some people in the group, like the whole flock is not um, in for this enterprise. You know? yes. And so then at some point, like what are, um, and maybe this yeah. is what we, we might need to, I know we need to wrap up soon, but um, if you can give us some pointers on, you know, what are things to, triggers to look for when you when a typical small group leader, not one that's a, a counselor type, but just a typical small group leader, what are the triggers for them to, to say, hey, to their church leadership, to their small group pastor or their care pastor, um, I'm out of my depth here. This is yeah. beyond the level of the one another's in basic care yes. and yes. spiritual um, spiritual comfort for one another. Like what, what are some signs to look for? Yeah, I, I think um, two main things. One, uh, comparing the content and the process of the group of what we said would be the primary content process of that agreement. So that's the number one is, is, is if I walked into your group and I took notes, you know, as just kind of an observer for a period of time, would I say that what's actually happening matches what you set out to do? Okay. So that's number one. And, and if for an extended period of time, it's not, um, then we need to look at the covenant or we need to change some dynamics. And that's where you enter into, you know, some sort of coaching and development and work towards that, depending on what it is. I think the flip side is the leader really needs to um, self-examine and take a uh, kind of a searching inventory of of what what's making them uncomfortable lately. Because every small group leader should be at least a little uncomfortable. If they're growing, yes, <laughs> absolutely. And so, um, if you know that those center around care, then any coach or any small group pastor. Um, you know, wants to be talking to leaders about where they're developing. And that's kind of where that question leads. So if, if development then turns into something that's dominating their focus and is detracting from where they want the group to go and where you know the group ultimately needs to go, that's when um, you might need to step in and, and increase kind of the the intervention, so to speak. Um, and we go back to then, okay, how is that? Is that this? frustrating or is it disruptive mm -hmm. um and i think but but by and large i have found that small group leaders um this is a felt need for them not like a hidden actual need and so when they end up on a phone call for three hours with somebody you know and that yes. happens once a week they're gonna let you know about it <laughs> that's true this is true <laughs> yeah yeah whether you want to or not <laughs> um so, and, and that's just a great opportunity to step in to shepherd them at how do either they walk alongside this person, how do they lead the group well through that season, or how do they um, um, intervene to change the dynamics of the group so it's in a better place. And all of those are such great opportunities for growth. 
mm-hmm. as a leader, as a follower of Christ, I think. So if, if we do this area well and care for um, people in need um, better, I think we the leaders so benefit from that, and our ministries and the church gets healthier as a result. So it kind of all mm-hmm. trickles up or trickles down both, both ways. It's like yeah. a win. Well, John, thank you so much for your time. Um, is there any final thought you'd like to share with our listeners? Uh, yeah, I, you know, you mentioned my blog earlier, theunwavering.com, and that's kind of uh, a play off of a passage from Hebrews chapter 10, and actually I have it right here, so I'd like to just uh, read it to the listeners, sure. because I have found that this has been something that's been encouraging to me for people in ministry, for, you know, whether they're paid or unpaid, uh, and this is what it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is a habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Amen. So, yeah, <laughs> especially people in ministry, I think it'd be so easy to just do this siloed, and that's what I love about the small group network. It's about us getting together and spurring one another on and uh, being unwavering. Well, thank you for listening to Group Talk. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a positive rating on iTunes, which helps other small group ministry leaders find us. So thank you and see you next time. Thank you for listening to Here to There, part of the Group Talk Network of Podcasts. If you like what you've heard, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. If you want to learn more, make sure you check out smallgroupnetwork.com for more resources.